Good to be here with you this morning. If you will be taking your Bibles and be turning them to Genesis chapter number 2. We'll be springboarding there this morning. And most of our points will be coming from chapter 3 here in a moment. It's so good to see so many of you and meet so many of you. I always look forward to coming here. As is mentioned in the announcements, I'll be preaching the last three Sundays of October. And so I'm going to do a series during that time. I'll have one more part of it. I don't know when I'll preach it in November at this time yet, uh, due to me and Luke not coordinating it yet, uh, our crazy schedules. But um, during that time, I'm going to do uh, one lesson. I probably could do more if I wanted to, but I'm going to do one lesson from each of the New uh, Testament one-chapter epistles. Uh, the first That first Sunday I'll be here in October, I'll be doing Philemon. And then 2nd John, 3rd John, and then I'll pick up in Jude and sometime in November. So I look forward to doing that study with you and doing that series with you. Um, I always enjoy those one-chapter epistles that many times get overlooked, but have so many deep, deep and rich lessons in them that we can apply in our everyday walks of life. There in Genesis chapter 2, God gave them one simple rule for, for them to follow after. There beginning in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 15, it says, God then, then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And then this was his one rule in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded that, that man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. And he continues in verse 17 with a coordinating conjunction, the word but. Then what does he say? The tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely I don't know how much clearer or plainer the Lord could have been when he said that. He says, you can eat whatever you want. You may freely eat of it. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, that tree that, that I have commanded you not to eat, you shall surely die. One simple rule that these people were to keep. And of course, we come to Genesis chapter 3. We know Genesis chapter 3 is when sin entered into the world. When Eve was deceived by the devil in three simple ways. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three simple things that we many times refer to as what the devil's temptations still are today. The tools that the devil has in his toolbox. First, first uh, John chapter 2, 15 through 17 Love not the world, neither the things of the love, uh, neither the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the world, or of the world, but not of the Father. And so we see that those simple three things are the three things that the devil used here to deceive Eve in partaking of that fruit. And then we see Eve taking that fruit to her husband and, and enticing him as well. But what can we see here? The first thing that I want us to notice about this is the devil comes to Eve and gets him to question it. Look at verse number 1. Now the serpent was more cunning, cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Has God in, indeed said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? That's the first thing the devil wants you to do. It, he wants you to question God's authority. Here he is. He, he's getting Eve to think about it and question whether or not that's okay. And that's the same thing the devil does today. He wants us to question, is this okay? Is this a sin? But God has, of course, through His Word, inspired Word, given us some very clear directives on what sin is and what sin is not. First John 3 and verse 4, He who transgresses, that is sin, goes beyond the point in which God 
has done. So number one, we see that, of course, questioning God is the first thing that this does. But then, of course, he deceives her. Questioning leads to deception. He deceives her. Look at verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest ye die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not, you shall not surely die. And Lord, for God knows that in that day you'll eat of it, and you'll be, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw, verse 6, that it was, the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. What do we see there? The lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But then what does it say? She took and took the fruit and ate it. And then she gave it to her husband, and he ate it. Verse 7, and they opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together in covering. And then, of course, that is when sin entered into the world, and God had a plan. And that was to send Jesus through the lineage of man to be born of woman, to crush the head of Satan, and to bruise the head, the heel of Jesus. That is the crucifixion, Genesis 3 and verse 15. That's not what I want to focus in on this morning. I want to focus in on the prophecy, which we many times need to focus upon when looking at Genesis 3 and verse 15. I don't want us to focus in on looking at the, the temptations of man, looking at the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and, and the uh, lust of the eyes. But what I want to focus in on is what happened in this account. Look at verse number 2 and 3, and notice what happened here. There's three things that Eve did here that still happen today. The title of our lesson are three issues from the beginning that still happen today. These, th- these three issues that happen here in Genesis chapter 3 with Eve are the same three issues that happened since then. And we're going to look at biblical examples over and over again. And they still are happening today. And they are these three things. Number one, she took away from God's word. Number two, she added to the commandments of God's word. And number three, she altered and changed God's word. Let's notice each of these in depth as we look at our lesson this morning. Number one, she took away... From God's word. Notice, notice, go back to Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. Let's notice exactly what God said. God said, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now notice what Eve said. Look at verse 2 of Genesis chapter 3. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. What word did she leave out? You might, you might even think she didn't change it that much. But she changed it. What, did, what word did she leave out? The word freely. You may freely eat of the garden. And what does that show? That shows God's grace, right? God's extending. Hey, you may eat freely of the garden. But what did Eve do? She took that word out of his commandments. You know, time and time and time again throughout Scripture, we see this. People taking away from God's word. Eve did it. Eve did it. Took away from the word freely here out of, out of the text which God specifically said and took it out when she was talking to the devil. But what about us? What about today? What about throughout scripture? Do they ever take away from God's word? Of course. Time and time again they take away from God's word. But what about today? This is one I want to focus in on today rather than during the biblical times. What about today? What about people taking away the frequency of the Lord's Supper. 
Go with me to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Acts 20 and verse number 7. Here, of course, is Paul, and he is there in uh, verse number 6, but he sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Of course, that's the Passover. In five days, he joined at Troas, where we stayed there seven days. So he's in the, the city of Troas. And notice verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart on the next day, spoke in them, and continued his message until midnight. Now, what a lot of people do is they say, well, you know, we're going to take away first day of the week. And we're going to do it the first day of every month. There they've added to God's Word, which we're going to talk more about here in a second. But a lot of times they take away the, the frequency in which God has given us through direct example. And you might be thinking, well, the word all is not there in this text. Let me use a very quick illustration to help us understand that. There in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 8. There when God is giving the Ten Commandments, He's very clear on what He says. He, you know, do not kill, do not murder. And what does one of them say in verse number 8? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now how often does the Sabbath day come around? It comes around every seven days. So what did they do? Every Sabbath, what did they do? They kept it holy. The Sabbath coming around to the next week, it kept it holy. They kept it around the next Sabbath, they kept it holy. Here we see a direct example of on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. And so what are we supposed to do? Every time there's a first day of the week, what do we do? We, we commemorate, we remember the Lord's death. We remember Jesus dying on that cross for our sins, that, that bread representing His body, the, the cup representing His blood. And how often are we supposed to partake of it? Every time there's a first day of the week. Let me show you another example. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. This one I think many times gets overlooked. And this is a point that I make. If they did it on the first worship service, on the first day the church was established, if we did what they did, then we'll be what they were. And that's exactly what we need to do if we're going to be New Testament Christians. If we're going to restore New Testament Christianity, we got to go back to the book and do it exactly the way that they did it. Now look at verse number 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is in their teaching. Anytime you see the word doctrine, that talks about the teaching. They continued steadfastly in the inspired men, the inspired apostles of teaching, that is their preaching, and in fellowship, that is koinonia, which could also refer to as the giving, the, the, the collection. And then notice this next one. And in the breaking of bread and in prayers. We see four, or could see four of the five, Acts of worship in this one verse. We see the preaching, that's the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, that is giving, that is the breaking of bread, that is the Lord's Supper, and in prayers. Four of the five acts of worship. We could lump singing in with the apostles' doctrine because the apostles taught singing. Paul taught singing. We're going to talk more about that here in a second. But what do many people do? They take away from the frequency of the Lord's Supper. They say, well, if we overuse it, if we do it too often, It'll, take, it'll diminish the significance. Friends, that's the most significant event in the world. And we need to remember it every first day of the week as the apostles did on the, here and they taught and as they practice as we move out. Don't take away from God's Word. Here we see many times people taking away from God's Word. What about people taking away from God's design when it comes to gender roles? Gender roles. And this is one that is becoming more prevalent even within the Lord's church. There are, there are uh, I hate to say this, there are people in our Christian, I'm going to use that term very loosely, but in our Christian colleges, 
that are associated with the churches of Christ that are teaching error concerning gender roles. They are saying, well, you know, I'm just going to take that away. I'm not going to apply to that doctrine. And there have been, and I I hate to say this, but there have been people that are uh, department chairs of the Bible department that do not speak where the Bible speaks concerning this issue. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's know, we're going to notice two passages again with this idea of gender roles. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's look at verses 34 and 35. Here Paul is very clear concerning this. And if he's not clear here, he's going to mention it again in 1 Timothy chapter 2 as we're going to look at. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look, look at verse number, look at 33. I always find it interesting that the Lord has an interesting statement before he dives into a topic like this. Look at verse 33. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion. You know what? When God says something, he's pretty clear upon it. He's not the author of confusion. He's not going to allow this church to do this where he's going to allow this church. He's clear on it. He's going to be consistent in his teaching and what he expects. But of peace as is still in all the churches of the saints. Now, verse 34. Let the woman keep silent in the churches... For they are not permitted to speak, but they are also to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. So what do we see? There are gender roles for men. There are gender roles for women. And women are not allowed to submit authority over the men. Go with me. Notice what we've noticed here. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul, Paul, of course, writing to the church at Corinth. And, of course, they had in, that whole book is dealing with church issues. And, of course, one of the issues that he's dealing with is women speaking up and teaching and absorbing authority over the men. But Paul, writing to the young evangelist Timothy and saying, hey, here's one thing you need to remember. Look at First Timothy chapter number 2 and look at verse number 11. Let, all, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to learn in silence. Why, Paul? Why is it that you are not going to allow a woman to observe authority over the man? Look at his logical reasoning for this. Verse 13. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Who's the head of the house? The man is, right? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 23. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. And gave himself up for it. And then verse 14. And Adam was uh, not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless she shall be saved in childbearing. If, if they continue in faith, love and holiness with all control. So why is it that the Lord through his infinite wisdom allowed men to have the leadership role in the church? It's because man, man was formed first and then woman. And that's how it is in the church. Women have a vital role in the church. If you don't believe that. Ask Aquila and Priscilla how important it was to have a faithful wife. Ask about other good New Testament Christians that had a great part of this. Ask Timothy himself how important his mother and grandmother played in his role in teaching him as a young child. But there is a place, there is certain parameters that women have to abide by. And here we see that women have to submit or or be under the authority of of men, they are not allowed to teach over authority in a mixed audience like this. That's what God has told us. But so many people take that away. They diminish that today by taking away from God's word. 
How about taking away from God's steps of salvation? How about taking away God's steps of salvation? Many people believe today that as long as you believe that Jesus is the Son and that you confess that, that you will be saved. And they take away this idea of baptism. Many people believe, believe this simple fact. He that believes is saved, and then you can be baptized later. But is that what the Bible teaches? No, let's notice what what it does say. Go to Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. I might preach this sermon sometime here. I I don't know, but there's a sermon I preached from Mark 16, 16. It's one that's been uh, preached throughout many congregations. It's nothing original. It's the five views of uh, Mark 16, 16. And it just simply looks at it and adds the word not in different locations. But looking at Mark 16, 16, the world says what? He that believes is saved and then baptized. But what did Jesus himself say? Because remember, we can't add to, we cannot take away from God's word. We learned that lesson from Eve. But what do people do? They take away. But look at Mark 16, 16. He who believes is baptized and then saved. So what do we see here? Belief, faith, plus baptism equals salvation. So many people today say faith, belief, is salvation, and then you're baptized. See, they take away one piece of the puzzle. They take one part of the equation away. Really, they take away the equation of the blood of of Christ. Because when is it that you come in contact with the blood of Christ? Through baptism, Romans chapter 6, 3 through 5. So, so many times today we see people take away from God's word. And we see Eve did that. She took away from God's word. She took away the word freely. freely. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Let's notice our second point. Let's notice, let's go back to our point because we got to go back to what God says. If, if God says it, then he means it. And that's, that's it. There's no debating it. There's no talking about it. If God said it, that's, that's the end of it. Notice what God said, Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. Of every tree of the garden you may freely, we see that she took away the word freely, but the tree of the the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now let's notice what Eve said in verse number 3. It says, but of the tree of the, uh, fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God says, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest ye Die. What did she add to God's word? Lest ye touch it. You know what she's doing there? She's making God a stricter God than he was. She took away from God's grace in our first point. Now she's adding to the commandments by saying you shouldn't even touch it. But did God say that? God didn't say that. God said don't eat it unless you, if you do eat it, you shall surely die. She made God stricter than he was. And you know, this, this idea of adding to God's word has been an issue ever since here. You go to, let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter number 10. Excuse me, Leviticus chapter number 10. Leviticus chapter number 10. Here we see two boys. These two boys were the sons of Aaron. And they were offering up incense. They were doing, doing what God commanded them to do. But there's something they didn't do. Notice this. Verse number one. Then they have it by you, the sons of Aaron, each took censer and put fire and put incense on it and offered up profane fire before the Lord. Notice this next phrase. Which he had not commanded them. Now what was the punishment? 
What was the result? There, there's the requirement or the, the, the issue. Verse 2 is the, the results. So the fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. What's the issue? The issue is they added to what God commanded. God commanded fire. That, that's something I think we many times forget in this story. God commanded fire, but God commanded a certain type of fire. And what they did was they changed, they altered, they added to what they were supposed to do. Maybe, maybe they added some incense that they were not commanded to do. And therefore, they added to the commandments and they were punished for adding to the commandments of God. What about in the New Testament? Go with me to Mark, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 and look at verse number 7 through 9. Matthew chapter 15, 7 through 9. This is, of course, during the times of Jesus. Notice what Jesus says. Hypocrites, what did Isaiah prophesy about you saying? These people draw with me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now look at verse 9. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What did they do? They added in their own teaching. They added in their own philosophies. They added on their own ways of doing things. Instead of just doing it the way God commanded to do it. But what about today? What about today in our time? What's the issues that we see? How how is it that we can add to God's Word? We can add to God's design of way of worship, right? God simply has a plan. Jesus told us that plan. John 4, verse number 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in what? Spirit and in truth. The idea of spirit is our attitude. It is our, it is our intellect. It's making sure that our minds are right when we come into the assembly. And in truth, that is God's Word, John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. So we must worship a God, God according to the right attitude and the right authority. And what is our authority in worship today when it comes to mechanical instruments and music? You don't have any authority. Ephesians 5 and verse 19 says what? Sing and make a melody in your hearts to the Lord. You see anywhere in that verse where we can have the instrument? No. That would be adding to God's Word. That would be adding something that God has not commanded us to do. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. Notice this other one. Colossians chapter 3. I want you to look at verse 16 before we get to verse 17. Because many times we look at just verse number 17. Again, but in verse 16 there's a clear directive that God wants us to to pay attention to. Colossians 3 and verse 16 says what? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making it with grace in your hearts, Lord. So what do we see? Sing. No instrument, nothing added. Verse 17, notice this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, God the Father, through Him. I want you to notice this is like a hamburger. You got bread, meat, bread. Now what does he say? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And how are we supposed to let the word of Christ dwell in, well, dwell in us richly? By singing. That's the meat. And then you have bread again. And what does he say? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the authority of, by the name of Christ. So what do we see? Word, sing, word. What's the only thing we have commanded in the word to do? Sing. Go back to my illustration earlier with Nahab and Abihu. God commanded fire. 
but he commanded a certain type of fire. God, God commands singing, but, or excuse me, God commands music, but God commands a certain type of music, and that is the vocal singing from our mouths. You might be thinking, well, Austin, you know, I think you're taking away from God's word because David used the heart, and that pleased the Lord, and it did. But what kind of testament, what kind of covenant did David live under? Did he live under the same law that we live under today? No. He lived under the Old Testament law. Every scripture that mentions music in the New Testament only refers to it as singing. No matter which one you go to, if you go to the book of uh, James, whether you go to the book of Hebrews, all of them are mentioning by singing. What about adding to the books of the Bible? What about adding to them? You know, there is the Mormon religion, which claims to be the, sometimes you might even see on their signs, the Church of Jesus Christ. But what do they believe? They believe that an angel named Moroni came here to earth and that he had these golden tablets and gave them to a person named Joseph Smith. And those golden tablets, of course, were the Book of Mormon. And they have the Book of Mormon today that add to the Word of God. Is that okay? Is it okay if we say, hey, we need more than the Bible. We need more than the Word of God. No. Go with me to Galatians chapter 1 to show this point. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Now, I find it interesting that they say an angel came to this man named Joseph Smith, named Moroni. But notice how clear it is here in Galatians chapter 1 that we should not listen to the angels. Notice what it says, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but are some who trouble you want to pervert, that is the idea of change, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 8. But if we, that is an apostle, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have been preached to you, let him be accursed. As I have said now, so say I now again. If I, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Friends, an angel from heaven came to Joseph Smith. And you know what? He brought another gospel. If you, if you just take a look at a copy of the Book of Mormon, you know what it says on it? It says, the Book of Mormon, another testament or gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what they're doing? They're directly violating the scripture. Of not of adding to the word of God. Catholics also do this by adding the books of Apocrypha that are not inspired books of the New Testament. So we see Eve added, took away from the commandments of God. She added to the commandments of God and she changed the commandments of God. Go back with me to notice this last point. Genesis chapter 2. Let's again begin, start out by noticing what God said. God said of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now notice what she says. Look there at verse number 3. She said in verse 2, you may eat, free, you may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. What did she change? She changed the ending. God said what? You shall surely die. And she said, you shall die. Surely shows the confidence, the way in which God means it. She changed what God 
had said. And we just mentioned in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, this was a problem at the church of Galatia. They were altering, they were changing the commandments of God. And that happens time and time and time again. But what about today? How are people changing or altering God's plan of salvation? Go with me to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. I remember I was in college one time and one of my friends handed me a track. And on this track, it was talking about salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ. And I would agree with, you know, probably 75% of it, but there was the major thing that I did not agree with. And it was quote, and it, it says it was quoting Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and verse number 9. And let me, I'm, I'm, don't look at the verse yet because I don't want to ruin it for you, but this is what the track said. You are saved by faith. Excuse me. He says you are saved through grace, through faith only. You are saved through by grace. I agree with that. Through faith, yes. Only, no. Because what did Paul say to the, book, to the church at Ephesus? Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Do you see the word only in there? I do not. That's changing. That's altering what God has said. Some people would even go to say, you are saved by grace only through faith only. Is that what that verse says? Absolutely not. You are saved by grace through an obedient faith. You are saved by grace through faith. And as not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone boast. Friends, we are saved by grace. Absolutely. We are saved by faith. Yes, alone no. Our faith in Christ, yes. But our faith plus confession, plus, plus repentance, plus baptism equals salvation. And we can look at other scriptures that show that. And friends, we're not saved by anything alone. Baptism alone does not save you. Faith alone does not save you. Confession alone does not save you. But your total dependence and trust in God by completing His steps of salvation and, and through His grace, we can be saved. But what else can can we look at that people have changed? People have changed the mode of baptism. The mode of baptism. When I mean the mode, I mean how do people baptize today? You go to Romans chapter 6, you can see this very clearly. We are buried with Christ in baptisms. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3. You go to other passages such as Colossians 2. And verse number 12, there's where it says, buried with Christ in baptism. You go to Acts chapter 8, there where it's talking about the Ethiopian eunuch. As they're going down the road, they see some water. He sees some water. He says, what hinders me from being baptized? They both went down into the water and he baptized him. Coming up out of the water. What does that mean? He had to go down into the water fully submerged. But people today alter the way in which you can be baptized. People can change that by what? Well, you can just be buried. You can just be poured some water on. You can just be sprinkled, and that's the same as baptism. But friends, nowhere in the New Testament do you see that being done. People have changed that command of baptism being a burial. The word baptism alone literally means burial. So therefore, you're changing the word baptism completely when you do that. People have changed the age of accountability. People believe that Babies need to be baptized because they are born sinners. But we see that babies are born pure. You say, come unto me, little children. We would not say, come unto me, you little sinful creatures. Of course, babies are born pure. And they are not, uh, no need to be baptized because of that. 
Friends, what's the point of this lesson? Don't change what God said. When God said it, He meant it. And that's enough for me and that's enough for you. So when we look at this temptation of Eve, we see that she took away from the commandments of God. She took the word freely away. We see that she added to the commandments of God, neither shall you touch it. That's not what God said. And she altered it by just saying, lest you die, when God said, you shall surely die. And those are the three same three things today. There's three passages in the whole Bible that deal with this idea of adding to, deleting from, and changing God's Word. And you know what? God strategically planned to place them in very unique places. At the beginning, at the middle, and at the end. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, don't add to my law. Proverbs 30 and verse number 6, don't add to the Bible. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, don't add to or take away from, my, from the words of prophecy in this book. Friends, that's the story of this message. Don't add to, don't take away. Simply do what God has instructed us to do. I want to ask you, have you completely done what God said to do today? Do you believe in Him? Hebrews 11 and verse number 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. Do you believe, do you, have you been willing to confess that with your mouth? You say, if you don't confess me before men, you will, I will not confess you before my Father which is in heaven. Have you been repented of your sins? Acts 17, verse 30 says that he now commands all men everywhere to repent. Have you been buried in water or grave of baptism? For the forgiveness of sins. Acts 2, verse 38. People believe that baptism, you need to be baptized, but it's not for the remission of sins. You know what they've done with that verse? They deleted something. Peter said, repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Was your baptism for the forgiveness of sins? Was your baptism for salvation? Because 1 Peter 3, verse 21 says, Baptism is the light fear and to Baptism doth also now save us. Did your baptism put you in Christ? Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Because that's what the Bible simply says. Maybe you're here this morning you've done that, but you need the prayers of the church. Verse John 1, 7 through 9 tells us that we need to walk in the light. But if we stray from the light, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We just have to confess our faults one to another. It's faithful and just to forgive us. We can help you anyway. Come now together. We stand and as we sing.